Bienvenidos to Merendiando from Radio Aluna Theater. This week we're interviewing some of the team at Possibilities Podcast. Possibility Podcast engage in deep dive conversations with queer and trans, black, indigenous, people of color, artists, and possibility makers. The Possibilities Podcast seeks to be a portal for inspiration and insight that invites its listeners to generate their own infinite possibilities. We sat down with Umang Antariksh Sagar, the creator and host, and Kumari Giles, the show's producer. Besides working on the podcast, they're both multidisciplinary artists. Umang is also a filmmaker, a writer, and visual artist, and Kumari is also a dancer, a curator, an aerialist, and a community cook. Their bios are beautiful and have a lot more details, so be sure to check the show notes. We talked about their podcast Meet Cute story, their definition of a possibility and how that guides their work, how to become a possibility maker, and their insights on what makes a successful collective. Later in the spring, they'll be releasing an episode with us as their guests, so keep an eye out for that. Now, let's dive in. Umang and Kumari, um, it is so cool to have you on. And the way that we kind of connected over to do this particular interview was that you folks were selected to be part of the Hot Docs Podcast Festival and be an opening act for Roxanne Gay's live streamed interview, which is super cool. We wanted to connect with other folks who are doing the work that we were doing. So this has paid off because we're all here together now. And so sure. this is the real this is the real gift of it. Uh, we just wanted to like get out there, um, present our work uh, and feel like, see if we could connect with more folks through our work uh, and see what comes out of that. And I think it's so exciting that both of us, um, both of our podcasts ha had gotten to be at that platform and that way we could connect with each other even, that that led to us connecting with each other. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting to get the news. And I would add on to what Umang said around podcasting can feel really isolating Um, and can be done in silos. And so being able to connect both with other podcast creators and hear more about how folks create podcasts and then be able to build audience um, was also like impetuses to apply to that. And yeah, and then we did it. And that was really exciting. Yeah. And here we are now. And we wanted to ask you, what was like your meet cute story about podcast podcasting? Like, how did you meet cute <laughs> in this medium both you Mang, and Kumari do you want to tell us Kumari I mean I can tell my side of the story um <laughs> because there was quite a bit of uh work done on the podcast before I looped in um but in December 2019 uh I'll, I'll just position kind of where I was at that point in in my life so I had been kind of almost for the last decade working in community arts and embodied practice and a lot of grassroots organizing. And I realized the ways that I was working needed to shift and change. And so I, I like tried to figure out how to bring closure to some of uh, the work that I was doing at that time and was really in a period of like trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And a lot of my art practice up until that point was, yeah, was embodied, was centered around like creating with wholeness, with possibility, uh, with transformation, uh, centering healing and care and access. And I wasn't really sure where that was going to go. And I got an email from Umang being like, hey, I have this podcast. It's called Possibilities Podcast. Here are some 
some episodes? Uh, are you interested in producing work? And I remember listening to those episodes and being like, oh my gosh, this is this is like the audio podcast version of how I like to orient myself in the world. Mm -hmm. And so um, was really excited about that. And we, yeah, we met at a cafe in <laughs> January uh, 2020 and just like talked about possibilities and where we were at and if this was going to be a thing that worked. And and that was our little like meet cute. We like drank some coffee or tea and chatted at a cafe across from OCAD. Um, and then, yeah. And then here we are now. We we took a month to kind of get into it and started working together. And then the pandemic hit. And so most of our uh, our work has been virtually. I, I feel like I joke a lot that like we've only ever really worked together a handful of times in person. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was our meet cute and it felt really in alignment for me and still does. And so here I am. Yeah, I mean, there had been so many processes in my own before I started the podcast that, that was like shifting in my life. And I was just like, I needed to orient towards uh, I, I had felt a lot of exhaustion and drain. And, you know, as a creative, sometimes you can feel that like you can just feel like nothing is happening and things aren't possible. And if you can't orient towards what's possible, it's harder to create because you're just, you know, it, that's how I, that's how I was experiencing it. And, uh, you know, I had gone to LA and it, it feels, it feels like a corny thing to say, but I felt, I felt like, like by the ocean, there was like this openness and, you know, it has palm trees and I grew up around palm trees and there was just something about that that just felt like more expansive than what I was feeling in the city about conversations around art. Um, and, you know, I don't think, yeah, I think there are lots of communities that are talking differently about art, but what I was hearing, I had come out of film school and oh my God, that's a whole other story, right? So I think all those things were really hard experiences alongside other experiences in my personal life that were going on. And I realized I needed to orient towards possibility. I was like having these experience, the small, small breakthrough experiences. I was like, okay, this is how, if I talk about it, I can be hopeful, then I can create, then I can move towards the life that I want. Um, and, and I can just, it's not just has, to, it doesn't just have to be in my head. It can be something that I, that I, I I'm in practice with regularly and I can build upon that practice. And so, uh, I didn't really fully know what the podcast was going to be. And this is a little bit of an urgent story of the podcast even, but I think it'll come up, come into the meet cute eventually, which is that there was like this, uh, I had this idea that I wanted to be in conversation with people to be able to just, just to, to people who inspire me and have those conversations that I wanted to have. Like I was wanted to have deep conversations. I think that is what I wanted to have. I didn't know it was going to be possibilities, but then, and I was like, someday I'll, I'll, I'll have this conversation with our first guest on our podcast, Adrian Murray Brown. And then it ended up being our first interview. In the course of that conversation, I realized what the podcast was, what I wanted the podcast to be. And because it was like an independent podcast, I didn't, I didn't pitch it to anyone. I didn't like build it up into anything. It was just something that I wanted to do. And so I did it. And then, you know, the thing about art is that there's like the initial push of creation that you're just like, okay, I can do all of the things. And then I recorded it. And then I like, uh, I, I asked, like, you know, I did ask for help even in the beginning and then things weren't really working out because it wasn't structured well enough. And I ended up doing like I, I, I recorded four episodes. We had released three of them. I recorded them myself. I edited them myself. I did all the design work myself. I did everything myself. And I was just like, and I did the research work, all the things that I was going into creating a podcast. Yeah. And it, I was so burnt out. I, I had, I, the idea of like working on this podcast was like awful. I was like, no, I cannot do it. And I, and I was like, but I was given this gift 
to have this conversation that led me to a path to something that I wanted to do. And it was my job to find a way to make it sustainable. And it was my job to get out of my own way <laughs> to do the work better. Mm-hmm. And so I had to like take a moment to be like, I know I'm not doing this right. So I got to figure out how to do it right. And so I had posted on my Instagram, my private Instagram page about like, uh, I'm looking for an, a podcast producer. Does anybody know? And a friend, uh, a mutual friend of uh, ours, uh, Gitanjali, had mentioned uh, Kumari is a producer and maybe, maybe, maybe you should reach out to them. And that's, that's the story of how that initiation happened. So I think all of that led to our meeting. And when we met, I was like, okay, this is something that we can try together and we can practice. And then we met a few more times uh, in cafes when that was a possibility or meet in cafes uh, around the city. And then, um, and then the shutdown happened and here we are now. But, but, it, but we have been able to find structure in this time and been able to build in this time that in ways that I think have felt sustaining through the pandemic. The episodes of your podcast that we can hear that you had in person, they have like this delicious special quality, but they still have that quality over Zoom. Like I, so congrats on that. That's, and one thing I learned in the Hot Dogs Podcast Festival is like, you know, that podcast Reply All, it's like very famous. Mm -hmm. They have 10 producers. Yeah. Look at us go. We're all just like, yeah, (laughs) trying to do everything (laughs) ourselves. And podcasting, it's beautiful but it is a lot of work so yeah everything you said is very real I mean yeah y'all know it's it's not it's not nothing it's just so much work and then because it seems easy and it's not that I don't think anything is technically particularly that complicated like it's all learnable but it's that because it seems like just people having conversations people don't realize how much actually is going on behind that to make those conversations possible and effective in the time that you have some the audience's attention because the audience yeah. could be doing a million other things, but they're here with you. So I, I feel also right now during this pandemic that is lasting forever. I always play podcasts, even though I'm not paying full attention, but it just makes me feel I'm in the place with people. Like they have become such a source of normalcy in my life that is I'm cooking. I need to hear that people are talking and laughing. And it's this weird thing because sometimes I'm going to go to reply and you're like, oh, no, it's it's just my phone. <laughs> so I think what we are doing and what you folks are doing, it's it's amazing. And, and during this like pandemic times, podcasts has, have become like a way to find connection. And I think particularly because your podcast is about dreaming beyond what is currently, it's about possibilities. It's just very nice to listen in on those conversations. And one question we have for you is the title of your podcast is Possibilities Podcast. So what is your definition of a possibility? You know, we've never actually talked about a definition. Because no one's asked us before. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I see a lot of really beautiful, like, space kind of yeah. imagery. <laughs> and I know that you're into astrology, Sagittarius. <laughs> so. If you've ever heard my podcast, you know I can't stop talking about that. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I love this question because I, 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 was, I was thinking about this and I was like, what is a possibility? And I think possibility can be, like, super mundane. What's possible right now is that we are here together, which is both kind of incredible that we're all able to be here but it also feels mundane in this moment that we're all here together and so there's that mundane but I think the possibilities that we are interested in the podcast that I think are the most exciting to me are like I, I think of uh I think of something just just this weekend Alexis Paul I attend the Sunday sermon by Alexis Pauline Gums a lot of most weekends and or nowadays they're doing it once a month so I attended then and she said something about like at the root of anger there's love. So even in that, in the thing that feels destructive, 
there is a there's an inch of possibility and and uh, or one time actually there's an oracle section of the sermon session the service uh, and while i sometime last year i had asked this question in the oracle i'm not going to technically explain to you how the oracle happens basically you submit questions and they through books and technologies of other sorts they respond to your questions and i had asked a question around how can i how can i let go of the thing that was not possible back then like something around in my past i felt like something was impossible or like you know when you're a kid you feel like you didn't get to have something and that felt like impossible and <laughs> alexis was like going through the question what was not possible what was not possible and at one point she just broke and she's like i can't even hold on to that you're here that means something was possible and i and i loved and i started laughing of course she could not hear me but i was laughing because i was like that's so true i'm holding on to the limit of the idea of what was there even in uh you know and, and this is not going to be a third reference but I, I one of the one of the things that i think about a lot uh is the goddess kali as it's a, from the tra- hindu tradition uh or, or south asian tradition uh and she's the goddess of destruction yes she's the goddess of divine love so even in destruction even in what we cannot uh uphold and we need to destroy there is that possibility of love there is that possibility of what we want to have and so just like what alexis was saying in that moment where i felt like nothing was possible the truth is i am possible now because of that moment what is in me the wholeness of me is possible now so i say all that to say that i think the uh, the podcast is interested in yeah we might even if we don't like what's happening around us we are creating the world that we want to create and i think cutie pop artists in particular are creators or people who are making making shaping uh spaces in the world are particular models for this because so much of what we are see what we are wanting to live as, and live in our wholeness mm-hmm. or or what our bodies are telling us to be and our inner beings are telling us to 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 live into uh is not something that we may actually see out in the world a lot we may see some examples and there are certainly ancestors and people that we can align with but the majority of the world is not aligned towards us is not centered mm-hmm. around us and yet we are creating even in the landscape that isn't for us our 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 world and 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 a world that we thrive in and so that is a possibility that the podcast i think is most invested in and most curious about that is so beautiful yeah i i like that last piece i think is how i understand possibility in terms of like how um this world doesn't allow cute bipoc folks to live in their fullness or doesn't do, not allow that's giving the world too much yeah. credit uh doesn't give space for uh queer and trans bipoc folks to live in their fullness and wholeness and i think for me uh the ways that this podcast as well as myself in the world try and open um and think through possibilities is is connected to wholeness and is connected to what does it mean for us to live our like fullest lives and be our fullest beings and so poss- possibilities to me is about like a consistent curiosity and questioning of what those kind of constraints could be and uh thinking through what are the options beyond that um what are the options within that and uh which one do we want to orient towards in whichever moment it is and i think yeah i think the podcast really brings in those conversations and is having those deep dive conversations with people so you get to like see and hear and feel them in their wholeness which in its uh essence for me is uh, is an opening 
is that possibility scape being created around us? It just seems like you both are perceiving the world as full of possibilities, um, as opposed to full of limitations, like just changing that kind of dynamic in your brain and trying to like make that into what you are making in this podcast. That's very powerful. I think one of the, one of the, the criticisms of optimism is being like, you're not seeing it realistically. And I think you can see the thing realistically and be like, I don't like this landscape. I don't, I think this is not working and yet feel possibility because it's our orient towards a possibility. You don't have, there are so many things you could orient towards in that moment. You could orient towards what is not there. And that is a valid orientation. Uh, absolutely. But I also think choosing to, at some point, choosing for the possibilities, choosing to, to, to look forward to your own, uh, to, what you, to the power within you to move something, you know, or to the power of the communities to move something. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's to me adding the fuller picture, even in a moment where, yeah, there, there are things that are not what you want them to be. So uh, talking about possibilities, uh, we had one question about how do you become a possibility maker and who is a possibility maker in your life? Asking the tough questions. I, I can dive into this in, in that I do feel like there is an innate thing within me that has always been seeking for possibilities. Um, like I, when I think back on my life, even when I was a small, small child, I was like, what? I don't understand why this thing isn't possible. Like, why are we limiting ourselves? Like that was very present in like five-year-old Kamari's life that stays present with me now. I think part of myself being oriented towards possibilities is about seeing what the the reality is and feeling the reality and and wanting something different. And so that that is what fuels me. And then in terms of possibility models and and folks in my life, I'm like there's so many. There's so many. I saw this question, I was like, how do I just hand over a list of like <laughs> 500 names of people, yeah. because I really think kind of bring it back to what I had mentioned around possibilities themselves. Like I think when folks are living in their wholeness and their authenticity, that to me makes them a possibility model. And for me, that's like the three of you in this room um, or in this Zoom room. <laughs> I also would say like lots of folks that I've connected with and been in community with, Raven, Wings, Cien. Uh, I was part of Vilnana, so there was like a big possibility shift for me um, in terms of movement over the course of the eight, eight to nine years that I worked with them, like organizing with Bricks and Glitter, all of the humans in that. Um, now working on new projects, like every person that is on this kind of journey of, of finding wholeness and sharing their authentic selves feels like a possibility model to me and is a possibility model to me because I'm also trying to find and move with that wholeness. And so when there's that dialogue and reflection back, that's really magical and something that I value so much. I echo uh, Kumari's sentiment in that I think anyone who wants to everyone is a possibility model, maker, mover. And um, it's that thing in you that wants, that wants more, that wants to dream, that wants to just that act of, I'm going to allow myself wholeness in this moment. I'm going to allow myself 
fullness. And that doesn't just mean the happy, good feelings. It also means the harder feelings. Everyone who sits with that and op- and opens that up a little by little for themselves, that's that's a possibility model for me. You know, that's something that I'm just like, yeah, you're living more in your wholeness. And by doing that, you're allowing more people to live more in their wholeness. And ultimately, we can all be more whole by, by that, who's just being more present to the thing that calls them in its in its entirety, to, to the sadness that calls you, to the grief that calls you, to the pain that calls you, to the joy and ecstasy that calls you, all of those things, uh, the purpose that calls you. And so, yes, there are infinite number of beings, I think, in my life. Uh, and we have mentioned some of the people that, I, that you know, I, I've already named, uh, that have opened that possibility up for me who uh, I've named Alexis Pauline Gums, I've named Adrian Murray Brown. Uh, there's any number of people on the podcast. I think that's, that is an intentional use of uh, the podcast is to be in connection with people who are helping us open the world up. And my person, I mean, you know, I can just think of, I have a friend, Matisse, who, who holds me accountable to love, which I really appreciate. And we have, a, a, you know, some relationships that have gotten really deep in the pandemic have been really sustaining. My friend Alvis, who I've thought of as a, a model for me for a very long time uh, through through many years. You know, they're just, and they're, they're like older relationships where, you know, where that are not in the cutie papa community per se, but they are, they show me love across, uh, across oceans, across, uh, across, you know, such differences we can still love each other yeah I I just really love the way you both talk about stepping into your wholeness and stepping into possibilities that exist versus like I don't know trying to grab things and bring them in like there's just a completely different orientation where you are just kind of accepting and 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 moving into things that are complete I think I would I would I'd say that you know it's not that scarcity mindset isn't very uh tempting and real and and feels like especially in moments where you're just like ugh, this life this sucks you know this is terrible i don't have the thing that i need or i'm never gonna have the thing that i need you know all those things are tempting but i think it's just i find draining in the long run and i feel like eventually at some point when i move out of that cycle the thing that sustains me is this the thing that actually makes me feel a lot more buoyed and able to move through the thing that feels impossible is this so uh so we try so we try, so we try to come into abundance totally you're like we're all human beings and you kind of need to know scarcity to know yes that. this is why i think cutie bipoc artists are an incredible portal of possibility because they know what they've been told so much that they are not possible that their yeah. lives are not possible, their dreams are not possible, because and they have been made to feel scarcity when they were already abundant in them in their own self. So I think that is why uh, that is why I think we have uh, something potent in the in the podcast, having conversations with people who are making it for themselves and are making it with community with ancestors, uh, w- w- with the future in mind. So both of you are also like you have really beautiful alive art practices in your different crafts, film. Uh, Kamari, I can't even begin to list all the crafts you do. I don't know <laughs> so much. um but uh and and writing and all of that but also there's this really important part of like social change and transformative justice and different ways of orienting socially structurally with people and I think this is just a question I had for both of you because going into like organizing movement spaces it can be very overwhelming to try to like start joining movements and conversations when these are conversations that have been happening for hundreds of years sometimes, like long time, there's lots of study, there's lots of 
material out there and it's like how do how do people do you have any advice for people who want to join like yeah organizing collectives for example but might feel overwhelmed and intimidated by the concepts and the awareness of history that you need to have to be effective now and what's your experience of that this is a great question <laughs> this is a great question um also because i've had so many experiences organizing and also feeling like i'm not able to organize i think um one of the things that this question is bringing up for me that I have thought a lot about in the last few years is just like when organizing and orienting towards change, what is what is the structure and or openness to bringing folks into that? And I, I, I must say, honestly, that I don't think we do a great job uh, locally here of being able to bring people in where they're at. Mm. Um, I think it uh, does happen, but I do think that this is a tension that lives in organizing because there can be such a a specific, like, you got to know these words. I used to say that, like, when I figured out QPOC was a term, when I, like, first moved to Toronto, it was like this secret key that opened up all these things for me. Mm-hmm. Because if I didn't have that particular language, I wouldn't be able to find events or people or the connections that I was then able to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my kind of thoughts and feelings on this is that like, we've got to meet people where we're at. We've got to listen like truly listen deeply to each other and see the humanity in each of us. Um, and and I'm forgetting exactly who did this, but I've seen it on a bunch of like Instagram posts of someone had said on TikTok and whoever this person is, genius, um, go, go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. And I think that that is something that I'm feeling in response to this question, like learn as much as you can learn, go where you're celebrated and, and learn with the people around you. I think all of my organizing has been really grounded in stories and learning from individual people. And that feels like a great entrance for me, as opposed to kind of like breaking down these big words and big concepts and big histories. So yeah, that, that would kind of be my response or what is resonating for me right now in response. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. That's so real. Um, and, and I think uh, for me, uh, something that this morning that I read was that your body has more wisdom than all of your philosophies combined or something. It was something that it was not an exact quote, but it is that quote by he's the founder of Zoroastrianism. Oh, cool. And I was thinking about this because I was just like, the thing that we can all have access to, we may not know every single thing about anything else, right? We may not know about somebody else's real, I mean, ultimately you can think about it and you can ask questions, you can learn about it, but you can't experience somebody else's life. You can, but what you can do and what we don't do enough, often enough, and this includes me, I had to really learn this, is that I can feel my own body and I can have the wisdom of the emotions. And then when I can feel it, I can actually be, I'm actually more open to connecting with other people's range of experience. So 
the I think the key to this, and I think it's a hard key because we're in capitalism where we are meant to shut ourselves down. We're supposed to achieve things that are linear and outside of ourselves. But but I'm finding that the more I come back to my body, the more I listen to my body, the more I, and I, it's not perfect and I mess up all the time. Uh, but but the more I do that, the less, the, the you know, the less I'm worried about fucking up. The more I can own my mistakes, you know, the more I can apologize without making you know, the more I can, I can make those choices and the more I can connect with somebody's pain because I have felt my own pain, you know? And so, um, I'm not saying when you enter, you have to know all these things. You're not going to know all these things. I'm not saying that's, that's, that's the barrier of entry. If you don't feel yourself, you can't enter that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that some of it is only going to happen through relationships, but I find that if, if you're in a path, if you're finding places where they can let you be safe enough to feel yourself, then that's probably going to be the, as Kumari was saying, that's going to probably be the most generative path. And for us to, as people who are more in the spaces, to be able to know our boundaries, we don't have to take on more than we can take on because that's a recipe for disaster. But also then in that moment, be able to, to be like, have compassion. Even if you want to say no to something, have the compassion to be like, I understand what's happening. And we can have that compassion to not make somebody you know, you can be like, I, this hurt me, but not, not that you are a bad person for doing this. Like what you did really hurt me. And this is really not okay for me, but mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're inherently worthless because of your action. So I think that's like, it's a, it's a both game and it's ultimately that's where, yeah, every person should be valued for the knowledge that they bring within themselves, within their experience. And, you know, as I, you know, and certainly as like, people with like language, especially as marginalized folks with lots of different things that we're experiencing. We don't know maybe what academic texts have been re- writing about for years, all the theories, like all the terminology. And um, and if that becomes a barrier of entry, maybe and people who are holding up that barrier for some reason, I think we can also acknowledge that that's not ultimately gonna, those spaces are not ultimately gonna be um, unless they soften and allow us for be there, allow us to be there. That's not ultimately going to buoy us up in the way that we want want to be buoyed up. Anyway, so it's it's a mutual thing, but honestly, some of it is always going to be messy. <laughs> yeah, these are such expert answers. I know. I was like, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing. Talking about, about spaces and and where, what space do we feel feel safe? And as as a queer creative, how is it? How do you find being creative in Toronto? How did you know this is a question that I would have so many feelings on? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Abu Dhabi. Uh, my family lives in the Middle East and uh, I grew up in India. I like, went to school there. Uh, yes. And then I moved here when I was se- moved to Canada when I was 17. We moved to Waterloo, which I would not recommend for anyone to do. Uh, <laughs> and then I came <laughs> to Toronto like 10, more than 10 years ago now. So I've been here for a while. Yeah, it's a, it's a place. It's a place to be. Uh, Toronto. I think, oh, I think the challenge, I think the scarcity feels really intense. And I think that really, weirdly, and some people I've heard, and I don't know this to be, uh, uh, I don't, I haven't, th- I, I don't know this to be a complete, I'm not 100% sure if this is a thing, but I think this is a factor is that there's government funding and there's like a lack of, there's like, there, there feels like only this much possible with that, mm. with, you have to like really shape yourself to what the money is, as opposed to somewhere in the States where we're always comparing ourselves to there for lots of reasons. There is different models, which which in mm. ways also is, has scarcity attached to it, but also at the same time can actually give the, give you the thing that you need for lots of different reasons, because they're funding a more ver- bigger variety of things. And oh. so 
there is this like push and pull of like, uh, yes, there should be government funding. There should be more government funding. At the same time, it should actually it should keep up with what people need and what people are creating. And maybe it shouldn't. It should be a different type whole model altogether where people aren't like always you know crabs in a barrel situation i don't know i don't eat crabs but i i assume that means <laughs> something uh but um i don't know I, and i think i well that's the funding situation there's like a money and capitalism situation to that as someone who's part of the film industry and goes to a lot of events around film industry one of the things that people will say is that you have an idea of what the american voices in film you have an idea of what the British voices in film. You have the idea what the Iranian voices in film. You have no idea what the voice Canadian voices. You have the idea of a Canadian voice is doesn't have enough money. <laughs> That's you know. Uh, I mean, and the thing is, we're not actually or like very polite white people. Okay, whatever. That's not the Toronto any of us lives in. Mm. And and I and I actually think. While I there are uh, there are obviously creators doing the work of making a new world and creating the work they're not given the kind of structurally and I think you know there, there's a lot of talk in the industry these days that things are changing we'll see uh, you know uh, yeah see not just talk about it people always talk about this so you you never know right like uh, but I think that feels very real to me that there is not. Um, there has been less emphasis on authentic Canadian voices of the experience of Canadianness, or I mean, you know, whatever. Not that I'm invested in that necessarily, but it's just it's the idea of us actually focusing on ourselves and being like, what is the possibility here? I think I find that it, I think there are people who are doing that despite the odds. That is not what the system is built to propagate, and and so it feels challenging. And I, a lot of people will tell you to. Like I remember going to a screenwriting session one time and this and this person was like a you know woman of color running the session. She's like, it's not about creativity. You gotta write a story that is gonna sell to Netflix. And uh they have like these seven seven models about how to write it. And your side characters, you don't have to make them interesting. They have to be flat. So some Chinese grandma in the middle of China can relate to it. And I was like, I've never met a Chinese grandma. This is really all my Chinese friends' faults that they have <laughs> never introduced me to their grandmas. How am I supposed to write to that? It also feels like it's telling you to land yourself out to be mass accessible. And mm -hmm. anyway, th that's my criticism. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, I, you know, at the same time, you can say there, there are people in groups that are really shifting the landscape, that are, are making different work, that are investing in, uh, I think, I feel more surrounded by that energy generally in my personal life, but we are in a landscape that I think doesn't necessarily automatically support that. Yeah, I think, thanks for sharing all of those yeah. kind of like structurally pieces to being a creative in the city. I think a lot of them, yeah, there's like, there is lots of scarcity because rent in the city is really high and how do you get the money to just pay rent? Um, <laughs> um, um, which is a big barrier. And I mean, I would say being a creative in this city, I have accessed a little bit of government funding, done a little bit of things with institutions, but mostly uh, not, which is great for my creative spirit and sad for my survival paying rent spirit. And so I, I just have kind of continued to orient myself towards that. Um, and see the abundance in the creativity of the humans that are here. I think that the 
the energy of the city can feel very distracting and sporadic for me. Um, and so being able to have a really grounded, solid, creative community that is really and truly majority queer and trans, all almost all queer and trans, majority BIPOC folks, um, and also a disability community, I would say, in the city feels like that those are the points that I can keep coming back to, to be able to tap into my creativity um, and let it thrive. Um, but it does feel like I, I very much am in constant dialogue of like, how, how do I thrive while also surviving? Um, and then, yeah, beautiful things come out of that, the like thrival pieces and the connections with people in the city. Very real, a very good portrait for people who are listening and might not be from here. That that all feels extremely accurate. Monica, what do you got there? Let's have a little bit of queer joy. I have a game called Curiosity. We are going to play this game. Uh, the game just goes, I pick a card, I ask a question, and then we just have fun. What a great queer game. <laughs> you know? Love it. What do you think about the concept of love at first sight? I definitely felt it once in high school. Um, but I don't know if it was love. I'm not sure if it was love. I think it was like, I don't think I've ever seen such a beautiful person in my whole life. Um, so it was like, awe. Yeah. What do you think? I feel like I'm, I'm like, absolutely not. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will say, I do think that like, there is this, uh, like, orientation of love and seeing a full person that can happen that I I still need to have a conversation with someone to really be able to know, I feel like. Um, I feel like aesthetics can give you something, but not everything. But there is, so I'm like, no, not love at first sight, but also yes, in mm, seeing someone aww, in their wholeness. Really can you do that at first sight? Seeing someone in their wholeness? If, if you're or energetic, energetically oriented to that, you could energetically witness that. I, right. I think so. Yeah. I've definitely witnessed yeah. that before. But I agree. I also agree that there's like a line between trauma at trauma bond at first sight and <laughs> and you know, love, expanding love at first sight. I think, you know, and that 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 can be a thing that happens. But I was just like all experiences are valid. You just gotta go through the ride. That is a great point. But I also think, yeah, if love is infinite and doesn't and unconditional, like in its raw form. It could do anything. It could yeah, do it doesn't anything. mean you're, you're, yeah, you could love from a distance. I've definitely loved from a distance at first sight. That's, that's true. I was like, I fell in love the moment I saw that person. And I was like, wow. And then we grew up and I was like, oh, we should get to know each other really deeply. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. What is your take on astrology as a belief system? This is just for this group. <laughs> I feel like. I'm against <laughs> astrology. I've never liked it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> uh, I, love, I love astrology. Kumari, do you want to talk about astrology? What do you think? I, I, I also, I, I love astrology. Um, I think younger me was like, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. But older me is like, oh, this is a pretty solid uh, way to have heads up. I heads ups about things it doesn't feel like it's a be all end all and I feel cautious about that but in terms of the um the kind of like 
taking bits of it. And I would say I'm still learning about astrology. So I don't know if I would say it's a belief system necessarily for me. But I definitely think that there we've been positioned in the universe for so many years. The people who have studied astrology have deep knowledge. Um, and so there is definitely some truth and some realness in there. I do agree that, uh, you know, I grew up with a lot of astrology around me, with Vedic astrology. Um, mm-hmm. And in India, I was like, you know, my mom was obsessed uh, with astrology and I was ambiguous about it when I was growing up because I was like, it was prescriptive in a way that I felt uh, was limiting. Uh, and I think that, I think that version of astrology where it's telling you exactly what life has to be uh, or telling you how to, f- that that has its challenges. If it's information that you can use to be present with and, sh- you know, so I think a belief system is a, is a complicated word choice because I'm like, do I think it's real? Do I think it it's actually, yes, I feel like it's a 5,000 year old, maybe more belief, uh, science really, uh, but yeah. you know, not in the terms of Western science, but but a different kind of knowledge system that is we would we we don't expect us to not have knowledge about lots of other things, but we just because astrology comes from a way of knowing that we don't value, we it's like this side belief. That, that, that's why I feel like it's important to understand and be present with at the same time, it doesn't have to define you, it doesn't have to be the thing that limits you, it doesn't have to be the thing that limits your connections, it just has to be ultimately there's a whole bunch of things that I think will 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 shape those. But I think it's information and I think it's interesting and very often pretty accurate. So I don't know. That's that's my take. I love it. Oh, yeah. Diversity of knowledge systems. We could use a lot more of that. Yeah. Okay, me? Yeah, I love it. Too. I just, I think you all really said how I feel, but mostly I just think stars are magical. There's so many ways of looking at them, not just conventional astrology or Hellenistic astrology, like all over the world, different different traditions and I think I want to know all about it, period. I want to know about it. Yeah. What about you, Monica? When I was younger, I remember uh, in, in in Mexico, in Monterrey, in, in this magazine on Sundays, you will get like the your horoscope. And I used to read it all the time and then feel guilty because in, in Catholic church, they will be like, if you hear somebody else, then you're betraying God. And I'll be like, no. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that I uh, think for myself, I can see that yeah, there's a lot of information that I like, and and also it's it's quite interesting because it's also a way to get to know yourself. But also, I do believe it in compatibility. Yes. I put astrology a lot with uh, moving here a lot. Mm-hmm. Also, queerness, queer community taught me a lot, a lot about astrology. Definitely, mm-hmm. like intro, getting to know you questions. What are your top three signs? Like, that's- <laughs> very important, very important. So, I think we're going to wrap up our part of this beautiful interview. And every episode, we ask our guests to pose a question to the next guest so we can keep the conversation going across all these digital borders and physical borders and keep the conversation flowing between artists. So, the question for you two comes from Genoa Gila, who is a strong Torres Strait Islander woman from Rockhampton, Central Queensland in so-called Australia. Uh, She is a dancer, writer, comedian, artist, like award-winning air guitar player, like amazing human being. Um, Genoa is very passionate about legacy. So her question for you is within your artistic practice, are you thinking about now or are you thinking about tomorrow? And will your practice open up a space or make passageways for the next generation. Yeah, I I think a lot about legacy. 
it doesn't make sense to me to do something now that doesn't open something for the future. And I think like when I look back on my life and currently in my life, I think about all of the the people and creatures and lands that opened up for me to open up possibilities for me to be where I am now. And so I want to continue that legacy um, and continue opening up spaces that Im- impact the right now, but also means that we have the worlds that we want to be living in. And so kind of collective conversations around and and movements towards what that looks like is really important in my uh, legacy and the things that I orient myself towards. A weird way it's the same thing for me. I'm just like to be fully in the now is to be to write myself into the future and to write to if I if I if I'm able to be embody myself fully now and honor my wholeness now that is to me what I know as a way of creating a future where the people that I interact with, the way that I move through the world, the process that I'm engaged in is hopefully going to be generative. And so I feel like I don't know how to separate the now and the future because I, I'm, I've am i been trying to practice a lot being more and more present in the now because that's what I'm, that's what I have. I have now. And uh, so, yes, I hope that something is expansive and generative in the future. I hope that there is something that comes out of this that shapes something more for somebody else. But if I'm fully present in the now and fully present in what I can offer now, I trust that that's going to open up something down the road. And I and I trust that that's going to create something. If it's coming from a good process, and I mean, I think we talk a lot about in our podcast about process, because if it, it feels good now, then the outcome hopefully is going to be one part of what comes out. My my way of orienting towards the future is to kind of think about where where what what can I authentically offer? What do I what can I authentically be present to, and and try and be more and more present to that right now. And hopefully that opens up something or not or 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 somebody else does something more exciting than me, and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you're even just creating this podcast and leaving an archive of moments of presence and connection is a very beautiful legacy to be leading. I think you're doing great. And on that note, what is a question you would like to pose for our next guest? As you were speaking among and talking about authenticity, and I think that's been like authenticity and wholeness has been a a theme in things that we have talked about. And so um, a question that I would have is like how, how and when how, when, and where do you feel your most authentic self? My question is something that we ask on the podcast uh, uh, pretty often uh, is, what is it that you want to receive? Oh, that's mm. so beautiful. <laughs> Good questions. Do you have more? Then we just use that for a whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> and and one last question that we, that's how we close our podcast is, this podcast is called Merendeando, which means snack time in Spanish. So what is your favorite snack right now? And Kumari, we know you cook. So if you want to give us some recipes, but <laughs> it can be a snack, dish, food, a book, music, anything you want to share with our listeners. It's a, like a little snack for the soul. Yeah. I can I can immediately go like I have two comfort snacks right now, um, and so one is a recipe. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, so I really love Shin Ramen. Um, it's I, it's just so good. It's quick and easy. I can get it at my convenience store, which is like a minute away from my house. And it's also a food that like one of my very dear friends, Audrey, who doesn't live in the city, uh, eats a lot of. And so when I'm 
low spoons and I want to eat something quick, um, but also have it nourish me. I make some shin ramen with some chopped up bok choy and a a drop an egg in there. Mm. And it is just like the spicy, the vegetable, the carb, the protein. It's just, it's magic. And then the other snack that I've been eating a lot of in pandemic times is uh, popped popcorn on the stove. And I, uh, I don't have a microwave. I'm very kind of low tech human, despite this <laughs> microphone in my face right now. Um, <laughs> but I'm generally a low tech human. And so I, yeah, I really like making popcorn with coconut oil, salt, paprika, and nutritional yeast. And, and smoked paprika, let's be specific on this. It is so good. I've ma- I like make it at least once, if not three times a week. That's awesome. I love it. Great recipes. Uh, mine is kind of, when you were talking, I was like, oh, the thing that I find very comforting uh, is something that I grew up with, which is Maggie, which is which are Maggie noodles. And we grew up with that back home. So I, I do make that a few times and it's not as fancy. I just boil it and put the packet and it's good enough for me. It's about Maggie, like in Mexico, there's Maggie sauce. Do you know about like just the brown? Yeah. Sauce? That is, a, that's very popular, but I don't think I've ever had the ramen version of yeah, it. It's, so it's, it's, an India, it's an India special. You get, you'll yeah. only, I mean, I think you find it now in Walmart and some other like bigger stores, but it's an, if you go to an Indian store, you'll find it there because people are okay. obsessed during the early part of the pandemic i went to an indian store and they were rationing one one mm. packet i was just like how could i possibly survive on one <laughs> packet per family i was just like that is outrageous that's outrageous <laughs> but it was like that it was like one year ago this time almost a year ago now mm-hmm. um so that's one of my favorite snacks uh and mangoes which i don't get to have which is not something that i'm able to access right now because we're in winter and because we're in Canada we don't get the good mangoes here uh but those are really that that's that's my favorite when I can in the summer I just fucking love mangoes you know I think that's Genoa our last guest was also like mangoes. yes so this is a theme of this season mangoes everyone get into them I wrote a zine called juicy mangoes so <laughs> okay thank you for all of those snacks for the body that's very important Uh, And thank you so much for being here and talking with us and sharing your visions of the world, of how to be in it. Uh, It's a huge gift to have you on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We are speaking to you from the shores of this beautiful Zaga Egan, known to some as Lake Ontario, in Toronto, or Dagorondo. This is the ancestral territory of the Haudenosaunee, or Longhouse Confederacy, the Anishinaabeg Nation, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum and Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase. At Aluna, we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Aluna Theatre, with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and the Metcalf Foundation. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness with Sue Ballant. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Monica Garrido and Camila Diaz Varela. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca. 
follow at Alunatheater on Twitter or Instagram or like us on Facebook. Miigwech and Nyawangoa.